Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. Where did you watch the Super Bowl? Uh, I watched it with my kids. Yeah? I was, I was in Miami on business, but I was supposed to actually not watch it and fly to Singapore because we had a big meeting in Singapore, but the coronavirus uh, scared the shit out of my mom. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you guys know, but marketing works. And the marketing of that disease scared her so much that I didn't want to break her heart. So I decided not to go uh, and telecast in. And so I watched it. With your kids at yep. home. Super. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. On this episode of the CMO Podcast, we are unpacking this year's Super Bowl ads with some of the night's biggest brands. My guests include Ricardo Marquez, the VP of Marketing for Anheuser-Busch InBev, and Todd Kaplan, the VP of Marketing at PepsiCo. Also joining this panel discussion, which was recorded in front of a live audience, is Harvard Business School's Shelley Santana. But before we get into that panel discussion about how these two marketers created their Super Bowl campaigns and how they resonated with people watching the game, I had a quick and intimate conversation with Gary Vaynerchuk, the CEO of VaynerMedia, Gallery Media Group's parent company. Gary's agency had three Super Bowl ads this year, Hard Rock, Planters, and Sabra. In this conversation, Gary and I talk about how his agency took the creative lead on these campaigns and the power of multi-platform storytelling. Here's my great conversation with Gary Vaynerchuk. Now I'm ready, Jim. Okay, ready. So what are you drinking? I'm drinking Empathy Chardonnay. Uh, this is a winery I started a little over a year ago, direct to consumer. Uh, again, a lot of familiar faces here, so I think a lot of people understand that I have a different point of view on how brand is built, let alone transactions happen in a 2020 world. And it's fun to have a project, me getting back into my roots. Some of you may know I grew up in my family's liquor business, launched one of the first e-commerce wine sites in 1996. Much of what VaynerMedia is built on comes from using marketing to actually build a business, not pander to reporting, and, uh, and so it's fun to uh, have a brand that's doing extremely well off the gate, and uh, that's what I'm drinking. This is fun if you're drinking it, enjoying it. It's a fun project, because I called in all my 25 years of wine favors. We basically produced a $40 wine for 20 bucks, and so it's, it was really actually devastating. All my friends that drank it, and friends, and business associates, and partners, so many people's replies during the holidays was like, holy shit, this is really, really good, and I was pumped, and then I was like, Oh, they thought it was gonna suck? Like, you know, so, so uh, it's been a fun project. So what's with the name, Empathy? Where'd it, where'd it come from? At the time that I created this brand, it was a word that started to populate a lot for me over the last three to four years. You know, I, I can't even really speak to why it hit my consciousness, but it is definitely the word that I think is the foundational strength to me as a person, and I would argue is the foundational strength of Vayner. We, we are deeply empathetic to the distribution channel of the creative, and more importantly, the mindset of the consumer when they actually consume our creative on the other side. And I think it is a huge, subtle strength of ours in comparison to most of the advertising that goes on in the world. 
Gary's group had three ads this year in the Super Bowl, correct? Mm. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But what we're going to do... Not before, bad for a social media show. Yeah, that's right. So, so the connection with Gary and myself, just you're aware, one of his companies, Gallery Media, produces my podcast. I was on stage at a P&G event with you mm. a few years ago in Cincinnati. It was a big reunion, a couple thousand people. P&G does this every two years. All the alumni get together in some global city. So we actually did Cincinnati two years ago. We were both speaking on stage. And he comes over to me afterward and said, we have to do something together. And he called me about a year later and just said, we got to do a podcast now. Let's book it. Let's do it now. And within like two or three months, we started. And I said, I don't know, Gary. I don't know if I want to do this. It's a big commitment, so on and so forth. But it's now been like eight months. I'm loving it. I thank you. I thank your whole team. Uh, and, you know, we all ought to have a passion project where we're learning. So it's such a privilege to get into someone's life, their head, their heart for an hour. We did one today and it was just really, really good. So thank you for that. Talk a bit about your team, the Super Bowl this year, the brands you worked on, and I think you might have a bit of the work to show, but tell a little bit about how you feel about your team and what you did this year for the brands you were working on. So my ideal state is that we spend today until October, November, December in putting out a significant amount of creative and use the quantum qual data against our business results to inform our decision for Super Bowl and the creative we put out. Not any of the three spots that we did were in that format. So as excited as I am and honored and a lot of people here within the industry, I'm sure everybody will recognize and I'm sure history will look back at in the history in this industry as this being kind of like the year that we had our coming out party and kind of took that step given my origin and our agencies. Um, it was an exciting exercise of classic advertising. You know, for us, um, the Sabra business, we had been on for a, several months, Kaylin. Yeah, nine months leading up to it. Planters, we did the Super Bowl the year before and had been on that business. And then the Hard Rock hotel piece kind of came together as a, a one-off pitch. Uh, and so all three came in different ways, none of which were wildly informed with this ambition I have of like how we put together the calendar of the entire year that leads to a remarkably better place to put yourself in a position to succeed. It's exciting that our creatives and strategists and everybody work together to ideate to the spots. I think planters probably had the most nuances in this volume, years worth of work. What were we doing with Mr. Pina and why that led to the idea and the execution. Um, I'm super happy for the team. It's super fun for me because I'm pretty aggressively uh, opinionated on my belief that every commercial besides the Super Bowl is overpriced for the media you pay and what you get in return. It doesn't mean that when you spend a ton of money on TV, you don't get business results. It's what would you do with that money in other places to get business results versus I, there is no social media campaign for $5.2 million that can give me what Super Bowl can, which is America watching it. So that's how I think about the world. It's not demonizing traditional or things of that nature. It's how I think about actual, I, I don't spend much time in our industry. Like I spend all my time on end consumer behavior and that is where the liber leverage sits. So it was a fun exercise. I was happy, there was a lot of excitement. I was probably most excited about the war rooms at Vayner, the 100 employees that were at Vayner f during the Super Bowl and like the teamwork and the efforts. You know, we were in a very interesting pickle. Um, two of our three spots had to be altered because of the devastating news of Kobe Bryant's passing. The J-Lo commercial for Hard Rock that I'm sure a lot of you saw, when I, what I'm about to tell you that if you watched and you remember it, the fact that that spot did not end with J-Lo getting into a helicopter with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, which is a nod to airplane, and that's getting her to it. I'm sure you can imagine, if you remember it, or if we were to watch it, that was really putting the bow on it to tell you what was going on there. Taking that away puts you in a tough predicament. And, and really, what I was doing the whole Super Bowl is watching reactions to the spots. And the, the sentiment from some, People love the Scooby-Doo thing with the two faces and things of that nature, but the sentiment itself is like, huh, no question, we could have used that ending. Um, and then the Mr. Peanut week was intense. As many of you know, we were probably on our way from educating the marketing landscape that you can 
have two Super Bowl spots for the price of one because of what we did. We showed the depth of Mr. Peanut in social and digital, which I'm sure everybody, if they're paying attention, even if you're not in, let's talk about what I'm most proud of. People not in marketing knew what happened because it crossed the chasm. SNL, New Yorker, and every other media outlet. So we took a huge risk to run a Super Bowl spot on digital social a week before to set up our Super Bowl spot. As you can imagine, a lot of people here in the business, that's a risky fucking move. We won it. And then one of the tragic events in our culture probably of this 50 year period from a star standpoint and what you have to do with it happens that is close enough to what we're doing that we have to stop the momentum of the ad spend because, we, because of humanity, by the way. Because, and this is where I give an enormous amount of credit to Kraft Heinz, the humanity was the decision on the call to stop it. It just didn't feel right. And we watched the temperature. We, we had to plan and created a second spot. Uh, we watched the temperature. We felt it was appropriate after testing and common sense to move forward. We did. We're glad we did. I think Baby Peanut did what we wanted it to do. We're most proud because we're driving actual business results before we get to that point. Both of the CPG brands that we're working on had major business growth in January pre-Super Bowl. We'll see now what happens after. Uh, so, you know, listen, I think I'm a very, uh, very easy read. I am here to do business results. I really am. I love being creative. I love content. I love media. I love it. But, you know, if we're gonna talk, like, I don't know what happens next and what you're, where you're gonna take me, Jim, but like, as I'm watching that, my, yeah, my, go ahead, I'll set up what I'm gonna say then. My subjective opinion on these spots is not interesting to me, let alone the thought of it being interesting to anybody else. I'm a singular human being who sang Can't Touch This 4,000 times in 1989 in eighth grade, so I like that spot better. The, Muscle-bound dude that is supposed to be thin. I don't even know his name. Right? Thank you. Jason Samoa? Momoa? I'm being dead serious. I'm not playing with you. I don't know who the, I know who he is. I don't know his name until, like, so, like, that means, but for somebody who thinks he's a heartthrob, and I know he, he's married or dating Bonet, right? Like, something, right? So, like, so, like, no, but, but this is the point, right? Our Sabra spot, Rob will tell you, our chief creative, our Sabra spot had 19 people in it. You know, I'm looking at Kaylin because she knows I was very close to it, who runs that account, Lisa. Like, I had very strong opinions of who was gonna get the biggest reaction. And, and, I th- not, not th- and, and by the way, this is Twitter, which is a, listen, Twitter, because of its format, gets a lot of attention. But Twitter does not represent everyone. Just because the people that mentioned Kombucha Girl or Booga the most, doesn't mean that the people at home most under knew who Scary Spice was. So I'm, I'm, I'm very focused on what we're all doing here for our, I am petrified when somebody pays me money. Let, the, let it be very clear. When, when people pay us dollars, I feel a huge sense of responsibility. And when somebody's paying seven, eight million dollars for a moment, you know, nine, I'm worried. I want it to be good for business, not, USA Today, Ad Week, Twitter, or us in this room said it was good. Very much where Vayner is as a creative shop is, even though our favorite platforms to distribute content, like Facebook and IGTV and YouTube, have very different best practices on creative, we're very fond of very long form video if you make things that people wanna watch. They, you know, they may not do well on the brand lift study or the data logic study because we're not putting the logo in the first three seconds. But when I watched that, it made me realize that even though the Super Bowl is my single favorite distribution spot in the world, I wish it wasn't so damn expensive and required to be 30 seconds. Watching the Hard Rock spot in its entirety versus what we got in the Super Bowl or Sabra versus what we got in the Super Bowl, there's just one man's opinion. There wasn't anything close. They were so much better in their natural form. and. And that's why I'm so grateful that we as marketers live in the internet world where you can put out your story how you want to put it out, not in a 15 or a 30. And, and I hate that the internet websites, the best ones, are requiring six and 15s and 30. Like, let stories be told properly. People will watch nine minute commercials if you make nine minutes of awesome. 
So Gary, we're only in early February. Last question for you before we bring the panel up. What are you really looking forward to this year for your companies? You know, we, uh, you know, it's fun to have, you know, obviously you do the podcast in the Gallery Media Group. I think we're have, you know, Ryan and, and the leadership team there has a really good thought about, we think that there's a, a revolution around advertorial and other products like that. Vayner Media is, and I got to talk to you and some of the great panelists you're about to hear, we're looking at creative talent from places like 74-year-old Sally, who used to work at JWT, who lives in Morristown, New Jersey, wants to come and work on the creative team. We want her. Uh, former NBA player for four years, trying to transition into the next part of his life to put on some of the brands we work on. We want him. I think that Vayner is absolutely, and I mean this, going to become a historic figure in the ad world because we, I am only comfortable in innovating around truth of end business results. So I think this is gonna be a transcending year. I think the three Super Bowl spots is probably a good indicator to what you're gonna see from us for the next year. And so we're, we're clearly ambitious, um, but we're wildly humble in the fact that we think this is about the consumer. We, I'm very proud of the key executives that we've done a lot of executive hiring. We, uh, we are consumer centric and this industry desperately needs that. It is in its own cocoon and that is hurting business and we're starting to run out of options. So I'm excited about continuing to operate. Super. All right, thank you, Gary. Thank you, man. Thanks for being here. Thanks for the wine. That was my conversation with Gary. It was great to hear his enthusiasm about storytelling and how he loves creativity to drive business results. Up next is my panel discussion recapping this year's Super Bowl ads with Ricardo, Todd, and Shelley, where we go over what they tried to achieve with their ad campaigns and hear about the work that goes into creating a Super Bowl ad. Here is that panel discussion. Shelley Santana used to be at Amex for like 13 years and is now at Harvard Business School and studies advertising and studies Super Bowl advertising. So she's gonna be our resident expert. And Shelly, I wanna ask you, what's your favorite NFL team? Oh, the New York Football Giants. New York Football yeah, Giants. Yeah. <laughs> you have my favorite player on your team. In fact, I tried to get his jersey for tonight, Saquon. Oh, I have, well, I don't you have, have his, but I do. That was oh. my Christmas gift this year. I asked my children, if I you really wanna make mom happy, Buy me a Saquon jersey. <laughs> and what was your favorite ad this year of everything you saw? Um, I really like the Alexa ad. What did we do before Alexa uh, with Ellen and Portia? I thought that was a great ad. And why? Um, so typically, so for a few reasons, typically I would describe it as a hardworking ad. And a lot of times hardworking ads are not that interesting. But there was this really nice combination of taking people who are popular and well-liked in culture and then doing this mashup of other events that are sort of culturally relevant and interesting and fun for people. So they were able to also, in the midst of all that, highlight all these features of Alexa and what Alexa can do without sort of knocking you over the head of like, here's a list of everything that Alexa can do, but sort of putting in this context of, of a very funny, you know, how do you, how did we ever turn down the temperature two degrees in the past? Um, and with a nod to Downton Abbey, it's like someone would take a fiery log out of the fire and throw it out the window. Um, so I thought it was, it was, that was my favorite spot. So Todd Kaplan, PepsiCo, you had a record number of ads this year in the Super Bowl. Six, right? Across all PepsiCo, yes. Oh, across all PepsiCo. We're going to look at one of your ads soon, but before we do that, I want you to Tell us your favorite NFL team. So I'm from Southern California originally, and all the NFL teams were not there when I was growing up. So I'm, I'm more of a, a basketball fan. I'm a big Lakers fan, obviously. But I live now in New York, so the Giants, I would have to say right Giants, now. I've, okay. I've adopted. And your favorite ad or two this year? My favorite ad. Um, that weren't yours. That was not mine. So I would say, um, yeah, I'd say uh, I kind of liked the, um, the Hulu ad I thought was an interesting play. Um, you know, there's a couple things on the execution, but I'd say the... Um, I liked that they were kind of tapping into this cultural truth around Tom Brady with this like really deep head fake where he posted on social and everyone's like, oh my God, is he gonna just drop the mic on the Super Bowl and just be like Brady out, like this whole thing's gonna go down. And, um, and then they had the little pivot at the end there and then just went back to their kind of Hulu has less. So I thought that was an interesting one uh, for sure. Yeah. 
so far. So Ricardo Marquez, AB InBev, had four ads this year. Okay, we're gonna look at one of yours. Favorite NFL team? Because I've been working with Gary for so long. You know where this is going. Pandering. the Jets, right? So, uh, but uh, of course, uh, not football, but also a soft spot for the Card Cardinals. St. Louis, Missouri, of course, the home of Budweiser. Um, Super. And what, how about you for this year? Your favorite ad or two that was not yours? I, I actually would say the top three ads for me were Jeep, I think they did a phenomenal job, Alexa, and the NFL. I'd say those three, it's hard to say which one of those probably cuts ahead, but, but I think they did a phenomenal job in terms of being, yes, product or service centric, but also addressing a strategic need for what it feels like those brands uh, need. Great, super. Okay, I think what I wanna do now is I think I want to show the Pepsi spot. Okay, so let's take a look at this, and then we're going to talk about it, take it apart, see how you feel about it. Is that good? You want to say anything before we start playing? I'll give, I'll give a little bit of setup if, okay. that's, if that's cool. Yeah. So yeah, so um, Pepsi obviously has been a longtime NFL sponsor for about 18 years now, and um, and every year the Super Bowl is kind of our our big moment for the year. And um, and Pepsi is a brand that um, doesn't have an awareness issue, doesn't have a trial issue. It comes and goes with its cultural relevance. So one thing we look at at Super Bowl across. Uh, brand Pepsi specifically is what we call share a voice. And then another thing we're trying to do this year is promote a new product, this Pepsi Zero Sugar, which is what we really uh, leaned into here. And this is a product that um, you know has been, it's the fastest growing soda of all of last year and it's got great repeat, you know, and, and basically the issue it has right now is awareness, no one knows it's there and, um, and we gotta get trial for it. So we did a whole thing around America wins zero if the game ends in a zero, which it did. So we just gave out to all of America a free Pepsi Zero Sugar, which you can imagine how fun that was to coordinate. Um, but, um, and then on top of it, um, from an awareness standpoint, we really wanted to, um, to get into uh, basically what, what Pepsi is as this equity. When you talk to consumers, the number one thing they tell you about brand Pepsi is this connection to music. And when Pepsi's been at its best, we've had you know, these music videos in the past with um, Britney Spears and Pink and Beyonce and you know, um, everyone, David Bowie, everyone in between. And um, we also have this great you know, challenger spirit of this brand and a, a very worthy competitor that we love to uh, kind of have fun with a lot of times in the Super Bowl. And so bringing all those things together with this new matte black can that we've invested heavily in on Pepsi Zero Sugar, which is a big point of difference uh, from our competitor, we thought leaning into that tension and in the words of, uh, Mick Jagger, when I see a red door, I want to paint it black. We thought uh, recreating that song with really contemporary talent. Um, Missy Elliott, who is obviously an icon in the industry, and uh, her, who I don't know if you're familiar with, but she's been up for 10 Grammys in the last two years, really just hot right now. And uh, we thought it was, we gave them creative control to create this song. And uh, you'll see the uh, music video at the 30 cut. We have an extended cut online as well. The agency that did this or helped you most? Uh, good be. Good be. Good be. Okay, so very good. Okay, let's run it. I see. How do you measure this? How do you know it's working? So we measure it on awareness and trial. So um, we, have, we have a lot of metrics that we look at. And, uh, and again, a lot of things that I find interesting about even just this panel and in general with the Super Bowl, and Gary touched on this, is that everyone's a critic, everyone's got a point of view, personal this and that. And it's interesting when you look at all the Super Bowl ads together, but nobody asks any brand what their objectives are. And they're all wildly different. I remember last year when um, Burger King put the Andy Warhol thing on, everyone's like, what is this? And then you talk to them and they're like, oh, well, we're trying to do something. So everyone's got a different point of view on what you're really trying to do. And so first, like, that's why you can't really get too caught up in the ad meter, the this, the that. And you gotta stay true to your objective. And for us, um, it's really about driving an emotional connection with the viewer and having it cut through. The number one thing we're trying to do, this is a brand that over the years, it was called Pepsi Max. There was a lot of confusion with consumers and just really, making sure people understand that it is part of this category, distinctive from our competitor, it's zero sugar done right, and really doing it in a way that will get it noticed and drive the awareness. While we have the trial really being driven by this America wins thing has been a big objective for us. So that's where this, we, we, could, we couldn't be happier with how it's uh, performed. Super. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? 
Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. Okay, we're going to shift to AB and Bev. We're going to show a Budweiser spot. And you want to give this any setup, Ricardo? We're going to show the one that uh, was on base brand. Yes, on Bud Budweiser. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, look, we have been on, a, on an exciting journey with Budweiser over the last four years uh, to humanize the brand, right? So w- one of the things that we always heard from, from people, uh, consumers, uh, was you know, about our quality, the quality perception that they have about the brand. Actually, when you do the double click, you realize that they look at Budweiser and they see a big corporation, right? So the craft guy, as the owner, as a face, feels very uh, close. Budweiser, you know, feels like a like a company, right? And therefore, people believe that we make our beer like GM makes their cars, right? So, so we've been on this journey to humanize the brand. And if you actually look at the past few Super Bowl spots, so we go all the way back to 2017, we told the story of our founder, Adolphus Bush, and his dream to come to the U.S. Actually, accidentally become one of the most talked about spots at, in that particular year, given the topic of immigration, right? But that was a, a way for us to tell a story that people did not realize that indeed there was also a guy behind this brand that also had a dream to, uh, to make this beer successful. Following year, we uh, uh, put a spotlight on our disaster relief efforts. So for the past 30 years, uh, AB um, has been delivering water to disaster areas. So whenever, whenever there's a hurricane, wildfire, one of the most pressing needs that people have is of course clean drinking water. So we've been doing that for a while. So coming off a very harsh hurricane season, we put the spotlight in that story. And just this past year, we decided to celebrate our efforts around sustainability, right? So Budweiser is 100% brewed with renewable electricity here in the US. So given all of this, and given that we passed over the last three years, spoke about the different facets of the brand and things that people did not recognize or didn't, didn't know, this year we actually turned the spotlight back to our drinker. Right, it felt like the right moment to celebrate the you in this but for you, right? And this is what this, what this spot is all about. It's about celebrating ordinary Americans who do amazing things, extraordinary things every single day. And of course, there is a parallel between their story and the story of our beer, right? People see Budweiser as a typical, basic, right, ordinary beer. And we're flipping this on its head by making this very powerful, establishing a very powerful parallel. So what agency helped you with this? David Miami. Okay. And the brief you gave them was? The brief was literally this. We want to uh, celebrate ordinary people doing extraordinary things, which honestly is what we've been doing over the past few years. Think about recently Dwayne Wade retired. I don't know many of you watched that, that piece actually from VaynerMedia, amazing job from, from Gary and the team. Uh, that was another amazing story, putting the spotlight on Wade, the human being, and what he did off the court. Uh, another great example of that creative idea. That's our North Star. That's what is guiding our creative work through and through. And this is a great example of that. Great. Let's take a look. They call us typical Americans. Maybe because we live typical American lives. Like this typical American. Showing off his strength. So typical. Uh, Look at him, touching other people's things. Always so competitive. Typical Americans showing up uninvited. Removing their clothes in public. Yelling and being loud. Just look at them, thinking they can save the world. Typical Americans always celebrating with their typical American beer. So next time someone labels you typical, show them what typical can do. It's, it's always a, a privilege, but also a huge responsibility for a brand like Budweiser because it's one of those few brands that people expect, anticipate to, to, be, to be good at, at uh, Super, on Super Bowl Sunday. The reaction has been good. 
from consumers? Incre incredibly, incredibly positive. I mean, the things that we look at, of course, share of conversation, it is an incredibly cluttered uh, environment every day of our lives, but especially around Super Bowl. So uh, being part of the conversation is super important. We were the number two brand, I think, in terms of mentions, uh, interactions on Twitter, right? We were a big piece of our plan. Um, of course, I mean, brand perception is something that we'll look at as we uh, get those numbers back. But also, again, to, 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 um, to Marcel and, and um, Gary's point, sales, right? So this is, this is the ultimate acid test of, you know, is, did this work, yes or no? Did it drive your appraisal for the brand? Did it address the strategic intent of what we wanted to address? Just for fun, um, you know, I showed a bunch of the ads in my class the other day. And um, for this particular ad, my international students loved it. And they said, like, I love the, the play on typical American and how that's often um, negative or sort of derogatory and how it was turned into something really positive and something to be proud of and em embraced. And, and they, really, they really responded really well. So So Shelley, I want to, you to come into the conversation now in a bigger way. So you are a resident expert. You study Super Bowl advertising. I think you even do a poll in your class at Harvard. I do. So I want you to talk about how you judge a Super Bowl ad and how you feel about the body of work this year, what your students' input was, and is this a different thing to evaluate than normal advertising? Um, yeah, so there's a lot of great questions in there. And uh, I do, I, I run a, a mini uh, ad meter for my students and let them view the ads and then they rank them and, and we talk about them in class. Um, I think for this year, the crop of ads, there were, there were some that were just really strong storytelling. Um, and that's one of the things that I really emphasize with my students is that, you know, a really good ad will tell you a very good story. And it's, and it's surprisingly easy to tell a great story with a beginning, middle, and end, with a character and plot and a conflict and a moral and a message in 30 to 90 seconds. And how you can see an entire story unfold in a 30-second snippet. Um, it takes skill to do that, but it's possible. And those are the best ads where you sort of pull that whole story together. Um, I think one of the things that I also like uh, about Super Bowl, and again, this is, I like to ask this of the international students who don't necessarily follow uh, the NFL or they haven't been to Super Bowl or don't understand why we make such a big deal out of the Super Bowl and Super Bowl advertising, um, is that Super Bowl advertising is a reflection of what's going on in the culture writ large at any point in time. Um, and so, and I think you can really see the theme that runs through when you sort of sit down and you watch all the ads together. You really get a sense of the pulse of like what's on people's minds and hearts um, in society. So I think you really saw that. Um, last year's ads I thought were more serious, a bit more somber. Um, this year's ads were, um, even though there's, there's a lot of serious conversations that are going on in culture, um, the, the brands mostly took a, a lighthearted and a light touch approach um, for the most part um, in, in contrast to what was going on in the culture. And so um, it was interesting to see that and have my students um, take a look at that. In terms of how I evaluate the ads, I think it goes back to like, what are you trying to achieve? So one of the things that I ask the students is, you know, we run an ad meter, and ad meter is a single item question. How much did you like this ad? Super subjective, it's a single item measure. You know, the statistical geek in me is like, that's not a valid measure. Um, you need like huge sample sizes in order for that to really be meaningful. Um, but that's just one element. How much did you like the ad, right? I was like, but maybe that's not the point. Like, is the point of the ad to get you to buy more things? Is the point of the ad for you to think about me differently, right? So my students particularly love the Google Loretta ad. I was like, does anyone not know about Google? Does anyone not know how to use it? Does anyone, right? Like, so that's not the point. What's the point of this ad, right? And they were great about understanding Maybe we can think about Google differently in this era of big tech is kind of under attack right now. There are some really good things that big tech is enabling us to do as well. And you can see that through the Google ad, through the Alexa ad, um, and you can see like, hey, this is someone that can be, or an instrument that can be an ally in my life. 
Do I think Super Bowl advertising is different than regular advertising? Absolutely. It's the biggest stage in the world. One out of every three people in the country is watching you live. You know, it's in Kansas City, it was every person. Yes, <laughs> literally, like every person every in Kansas City. Every TV in the city was on. <laughs> yes, um, with good reason, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, and so people have come to expect the very best out of brands on Super Bowl. Like, what are you going to bring this year? It's the Super Bowl of brands as well, right? Um, so it is different, and there's often a much higher uh, purpose for what the ads are. There's much more brand advertising that goes on versus sort of product and feature, you know, I need to sort of pump through a bunch of volume at the end of this. Um, and I do ask my students, like, how, how much are we going to, how many more items, how many more units, how much more are people going to use, buy, et cetera? Um, and, you know, sometimes it's very clear, like, this is a usage ad. I want to drive usage, trial, and purchase. And there's, uh, and it's also very obvious when this is sort of, I need awareness, I need preference, I need liking. I just want you to like me and sort of consider me at this point. And then when it comes time, when you're in the store or you're online, and at times it comes time for you to put something in your basket, because I have laid the foundation for your liking and your preference and your consideration, then I can end up in your basket. So, so the top three ads from your Harvard Business students all were? So their top three ads were uh, the Google Loretta spot, um, the Be the One spot from Microsoft Surface, um, and then the Alexa spot. And then I showed them what the ad meter was, and, the, and those top three are, are different. And so one of the other takeaways I always try and impress on my mm -hmm. students is you are not representative. Just so you know. So I now want to um, kind of, in the back end of this uh, discussion, we have two enormous advertisers every day, but, all, but especially in the Super Bowl. Your companies have been doing Super Bowl advertising for decades, maybe since the first one, I don't know. So I want you to talk sort of for the audience and our listeners, what's your strategy for the Super Bowl? And how do you, is it a corporate strategy? You know, when, what brands do you, how do you choose the brands every year? What sort of discussions, what's your approach? I'll, I'll, I'll start. I think there's a variety of, I mean, it's a pretty loaded uh, question, but I think at the end of the day, um, and actually both of us have endemic products to the Super Bowl viewing experience. So from a business standpoint, um, people are consuming a ton of our products on Super Bowl Sunday. So there's a whole, ramp up at retail, there's a whole buildup and an internal rally cry component that a lot of people don't even see as well. Um, and then on top of it, both of us happen to be NFL sponsors as well. And so, you know, I'll speak on our end. We have a variety of different NFL assets from the Rookie of the Year Award, the Pepsi Rookie of the Year Award is announced. We have the Pepsi Super Bowl halftime show, which, hello, that was, that was a big one this year um, that we've been working on. And so there's a lot of different components on site on the ground. We have hospitality where we entertain customers. We do a variety of different things all around it. And so I find it, um, it's fascinating that, you know, the ads get so much attention because obviously when you look at it from a CPM standpoint, you're like, oh my God, for 30 seconds, that's, so, that's insane. But at the end of the day, um, there's a holistic program that we typically do around it. And by the way, we have multiple brands and all of that. And then I think to effectively do the Super Bowl right, it's also, for us at least, it's as a, as a brand that's trying to connect with culture and, and not basically do a lot of rational, like, order now, do this kind of stuff. Um, it's the pre, the during, and the post, right? And so how you tease that out. You're seeing a lot more teasers nowadays, the talent revealers. You get a lot of bites at the apple from a PR. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. From a media standpoint, from a social engagement standpoint, so how you, how you tease it the week leading up, how you generate a lot of excitement, how on game day we have a war room of people literally real-time tweeting, responding, and actually, you know, I go back to this idea of share of voice. Um, that's one of the most important measures. This year we got the number one share of voice among all brands, and last year I thought we actually had a, at a 10 point acres. We crushed it last year when we did the whole Pepsi's okay and this cola truce and all this fun stuff in Atlanta. 
This year, we got 43% of share of voice. That means of all the branded discussions happening on Super Bowl Sunday, 43% of them mentioned brand Pepsi with 11 to 1 positive sentiment. We had an internal metric. So we feel ecstatic with the, the way that we're approaching this. Because again, back to driving consideration, we're in a hyper-competitive category. And so there's a lot of different things that in that, you know, it's not a high involvement purchase. No one's buying a car here. It's a, it's a couple bucks for a soda, right? And so at the end of the day, you're at that moment of choice at the retail. What are those little triggers in your head that are going to help you consider, no, more, a little bit differently? So that's what we really do at Super Bowl every year. And we look across our portfolio, obviously, of snacks and beverages and understand what are the big bets we're trying to make. And we go. Uh, but then again, we try to do a lot of that stuff throughout the year as well. Uh, but it's just a big kind of jumping off point for us at PepsiCo. Before jumping to Ricardo, you talked about the halftime show, which you've been doing for many years. Yeah. Is the objective for that different from your ads? How do you, how do you, what's your brief for the halftime show every year? Yeah, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's, you know, listen, we have a, a great partnership with the NFL. And obviously this year we brought in um, some new partners in Rock Nation and Jay-Z to help us kind of collaborate to build it. And we, we couldn't be happier uh, with kind of the partnership that we have there. And it's really back again, um, I can't think of since 2020 any 12 minutes that have been more talked about or more viewed at all. And our brand is right at the center of that. So again, going back to we don't have a trial issue on brand Pepsi as a whole and we don't have an awareness issue. I'm not like presented by like everyone knows what Pepsi is. Uh, at the end of the day, it's about driving a cultural conversation, connection, relevance. And that's why we try to use the platform effectively, which I think this year uh, was a great example. So Ricardo, your approach as a company you know, to the Super Bowl. How is it different from what you just heard from Todd? Which your, which, how's your approach? Is how similar, how different from Todd's? I mean, a lot of similarities in terms of, uh, you right. think about, uh, yes, of course, huge selling opportunity. The week leading up to the Super Bowl, including Super Bowl Sunday, is a key selling week of the, on the, of, of the year for us. So it is an, a massive trade opportunity. Of course, then you think about in the world uh, that we live in today to have this opportunity to connect with 100 million viewers. And actually, viewership went up this year, which was great. But to have that opportunity to connect instantly with that type of audience is an opportunity for uh, you know, any brand that's ready to do so. And, and then finally, I would say, I mean, creativity, right? I think it's, uh, it's a moment in the year that in an interesting way kind of raises the bar of creativity inside of the company. We actually like to think about Super Bowl moments throughout the year, right? So we like to think about Super Bowl Sunday, obviously, but then how can we replicate that same level of attention and impact and quality of work throughout the year, right? So um, you think about portfolio, right? And Marcel, probably you can jump in here, right? Uh, aligned with the strategic priorities of the, of the portfolio, then based on that, we define which brands, of course, will, will get to play on Super Bowl Sunday. You raised a really interesting concept. I think we should drill down on a bit. I want the panel's opinion on this. Is there a benefit of the Super Bowl in elevating the creativity and your business thinking with your team and your agencies throughout the year? I mean, does that play a role, not just this week or these two weeks or three weeks? Does it play a role at making your organization more creative? Shelley, what do you think? Um, well, I'll definitely defer to the two experts here, but uh, I, I think it does because I think it's one of the... It's one of the opportunities, because it's such a big bet and you're spending so much money in-game on the Super Bowl, that it forces you to think about, to Todd's point, this end-to-end, -end, right? Like, what's happening leading up to it? What's happening coming out of it? And how do we develop a whole campaign and a strategy that's coherent and that you can sort of tie together? Um, and, and that's a conversation that definitely happens around Super Bowl. Um, when you think about the whole portfolio of brands, right? Like that's happening around Super Bowl, which I think probably happens a bit differently throughout the rest of the year when you're talking about sort of spot ads. So, um, you know, I, I think when you have to think about even, you know, I happen to know something about Pepsi, um, you know, the internal branding that happens at the company, just getting the whole company excited about Super Bowl, right? And it just gets everyone really engaged and thinking about how are we going to ride this wave um, in sort of leading into it, big game, and then coming out of it. Yeah, and I think that just to, just to play on that, we have an internal mantra we use of Pepsi that says, we are Pepsi. And it's one of these things that um, at the end of the day, the Super Bowl is one of those moments that if you work at a place like PepsiCo, um, there's this really weird thing that you can't drink a competitive product. If you're at a party at a restaurant, it's always a conversation piece that annoys you when you're on a plane, when you're at a restaurant. It's actually inspiration for last year's Super Bowl spot, by the way, if it's Pepsi okay. Uh, but because of that, if you work in finance, supply chain, you're a frontline salesperson, no matter what you are, 
when you're watching at your Super Bowl party, everyone's like, hey, there's a Pepsi spot. What do you think? You're, they're texting you. Great job on the halftime show. Like, it's a moment of pride for the company. And so there's, there's part of that that actually from a creative standpoint, you want to set the bar high. And then there's obviously on the agency side, we all know one of the big motivators for, uh, for creative types in, in our agencies is putting stuff out into the world and obviously putting it out in front of 100 million people on a stage that everyone's going to be looking at, evaluating, and not, not DVRing and fast-forwarding through is a highly motivating thing. So it's a huge kind of line in the sand just for creative agencies, for internal, just to try to really galvanize everybody behind. I'll give you one, one example, like uh, the war room, right? So that's, that was one of the things that we did around Super Bowl for, for years. But actually, in the spirit of Super Bowl can be, you know, any time of the year, we actually have that as a running, um, you know, uh, setup, right? So we have a publishing team that constantly is looking out for conversation around our brands, conversations that are, that are happening in culture. So that's, a, you know, a 24-7 job, like, uh, round, year-round, that starts on Super Bowl Sunday and goes throughout the year. That's just one example on what the, one of the things that we imported to the rest of the year. But then to your point, I think it goes back to the creative ambition, right? Why not have the creative ambition of putting out our best work every single day of the year, right? Why not show up always at our best? I think that's probably the, 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 the most inspiring part of the, of, the, of the Super Bowl process. When I was at P&G years ago, we had never advertised in the Super Bowl. And so I had a challenge out to the brands, and I said, I'll pay for the spot corporately to the best creative. And like 20 teams competed. And it just elevated everyone's ambition and created energy, and, and that carried over. So it's very, it's very symbolic. Listen, for our audience, I'd like you to end with some advice. If anyone in our audience is considering or is assigned all of a sudden to do a Super Bowl ad next year, what would be your key advice to that person and that team to make it work really, really well for them? If I can start, I, I would say don't fall on the trap of just going for pure entertainment, right? Try to look for the strategic objective you're trying to address for your brand. Uh, don't think about it as a Super Bowl spot. Think about it as a Super Bowl plan, right? Think about the trade component, think about the Twitter conversation. Uh, think about how to release the spot, so it's it's more of a plan and, and less of just a, just a spot. And, and then finally, be bold, of course. Uh, trust your agency partners, trust your creative team and your gut, and uh, and and get a healthy amount of data and information to support that. But uh, but be bold. I'd, I'd I'd echo and say um, be maniacally focused on why you're doing it and unwavering with it because one thing and any bigger company as well. As you get down the Super Bowl journey, all the eyeballs, not externally, but internally, agencies, you end up getting a lot of constituents to work with and how you bring others along, how you collaborate. And part of the creative process, I always say this with my team, I say that uh, creative ideas are almost like, uh, like butterflies. They're very fragile when you get a right idea and you gotta, you gotta protect it so that as it goes through legal, as it goes through you know, all the different constituents, People can pick at it so much where when it comes out the other end, it's a totally different idea. And at the end of the day, you gotta be maniacally focused and not as concerned with, oh, well, this person thinks it's funny. Again, it's not for entertainment. You're not spending this money to entertain people. You're trying to drive a business. So I think being maniacally focused and unwavering with that. And then I think also, um, I would encourage people to do more of kind of the, the 360, you know, the pre, during, post stuff. I don't, I'm shocked at how little brands do that or they just tease it or they reveal it on the big game. You know, and I think, um, you know, Gary talked earlier about some of the teasing and being done and how you can make episodic things. This year, you know, we had our teasers on the Grammys. We had a musician, her, who performed on the Grammys. Right after she performed, boom, her teaser goes, she's playing Paint It Black. So it's like, how can you connect these things to culture in a way to really milk the most out of this, this investment you're making to really drive your business objectives and really get people talking about your brand? And then, and then the last thing I would say is while I say be maniacally focused, also expect the unexpected. You know, the production process and the creative process is not linear, right? And so as we know, you, you have a board, you go to testing, you go to production, you get, you know, musicians, you get people, like there's always gonna be left turns, zigs and zags, and the time pressures always never marry up and legal teams, everyone involved. So um, just be prepared for anything as you go through it. Shell, you study Super Bowl advertising. Yeah. You've worked at a big, big brand. Uh, so what would be your advice? 
Yeah. From where um, you sit. I would, I would start with telling, in addition to what they said, because I don't, I 100% agree. Um, the importance of a really good story is, I think, sometimes undervalued. And the reason why stories are so important is that we, that's how we process information, right? As, as people, right? Our cognitions are wired around narratives. And so if you can tell people a narrative and a story, they're going to remember it much easier and, and much more accurately than if you give them bullet points of information. So the storytelling is actually really important. Um, and I would also say that um, even though I do agree that the, the longer form is making a comeback, uh, people's attention spans are still really short. You've got about seven seconds at the beginning to really engage people and get them to want to keep watching. So you have to make sure that you start strong. So good story, start strong. Okay. For you two guys, when do you start planning for Super Bowl 2021? Can't, can't be soon enough. I mean, we, uh, <laughs> we are, I mean, that's my boss's feedback is always like, we know when the Super Bowl is this year, aren't we going? Let's go sooner. I mean, we always want to go sooner, but I'd say typically things usually ramp up. I'd say around the summertime as we're planning out our annual planning process, we'll have a, a firm idea of what are the bets, where we're going to put the, the puts and takes in the portfolio, and then uh, we'll really kind of start going big. Ricardo, how about Typically April, <clears throat> and um, we like that because it allows us to explore different avenues. And actually, we are positively surprised. They'll actually, at the end of the Super Bowl process, we end up with the Super Bowl spot, of course, and the, the plan, but then additional ideas that did not necessarily fit the Super Bowl plan, but that make it throughout the rest of the year. So we like to start, start uh, early. Okay, super. Panel, you've been wonderful. I think you did great work this year. Shelly, thank you for the perspective. Thank you for being here. That was a wonderful panel discussion. I loved it. And I want to thank all my guests for making time right after the Super Bowl in New York City to chat with me in front of a room of 80 attendees to discuss marketing and how participating in the Super Bowl elevates the creativity of their entire marketing organization. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.